This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So at the break, I was having a look at that video that Brian Costello tweeted out, which I am amazed by. The phantom hockey stick following Dylan Dubé in that Calgary-Washington game yesterday. And a a couple of people were quick to point out it's probably due to the puck that gets rimmed around the boards that pushes the stick forward towards Dubé as he skates to the bench. The stick is not a puppy following its owner to the bench. To which I say, boring, phantom stick, voodoo stick, haunted stick. Might not be real, but that's what I'm choosing to believe. Thank you very much. Eric Francis joins me now for comments on the Dubé stick phenomenon and a lifeless effort by the Calgary Flames against the Nashville Predators last night. Eric, how are you? I'm good, and I'm I'm glad that some of your listeners kind of unraveled the mystery because I heard you talking about it. You know, I mean, I was there in Nashville last night. I, uh, I I didn't I watched Dubé go off the ice because he was clearly banged up on that play, like he was hurt pretty bad from that cross check. And I was watching him on the bench. I did not see this incident, but since you re- since you put it on Twitter and I just retweeted it, it I've been examining it like the Zapruder film, which is ironic because I'm in Dallas right now, and it's just oh. so if a, if a if a puck hit it, that's great and that solves the mystery. What I got to be honest, what I was more fascinated with last night, and I wrote about it because I just was Mackenzie Weger throwing his stick to break up the two on nothing late in the game. Like I Uh, I just thought the coach didn't like it. I get it. It's kind of a sucky move, but come on, we've all done it. I, or maybe I'm the only guy, but it it seems like everybody's younger brother or neighbor or friend at some point in a pond hockey game or road hockey game, you just, you just throw your stick to break up a breakaway or something. And it's funny. And uh, I thought it was funny, yeah. but it was if, and I'm about to retweet that one too, because that <laughs> was brilliantly timed. There was no mystery to it. He just brilliantly timed. He'd given the puck away. They yep. were taking a beating. The game was almost over. He just threw it. It was a two on nothing. And he timed it so perfectly that when he threw it, it intercepted the pass and stopped the goal. Now they, they called him for a penalty shot on it, but I just thought it was great. Yep. So yeah, mystery solved. Okay, so a couple of things. Let me add another layer to uh, what you're talking about, about the uh, the voodoo stick, and you're in Dallas. Uh, of course, we think about Dealey Plaza and JFK. Yesterday, by the way, was the 60th anniversary of the uh, assassination of the President of the United States uh, in, in, in Dallas. And by the way, the uh, the latest podcast is Soledad O'Brien uh, podcast with Rob Reiner, uh, who shot JFK uh, two episodes in. It is excellent. But to the Calgary Flames game, yeah, of course we've all thrown sticks before. We've all played ball hockey, pond hockey, all of it, any form. Of, we've all done it. I just find it endless. I, I don't know whether I, part of me just laughs when I see an NHL, uh, an NHLer do it. Like we see it in kids hockey all the time. Tim bits hockey all the time because you, you haven't got it through your, between your ears that, okay, that's going to be a penalty shot or that's going to be a penalty. Or that's something you don't do in hockey. I always find it endlessly fascinating when I see a player in the NHL do it because to me that just represents I'm throwing logic out the window. This yeah. game is out of hand. I'm frustrated. So, ugh, whatever. I'll just throw my stick. Well, and he's just given up the puck. They're down 4-1 at this point. Uh, I think it was 4-1 or 4-2. The game was over with like less than a minute to go, sort of a couple minutes to go. And it was just sheer frustration. And you and you know what? Mackenzie Weger is a character, right? The game needs characters like him. And I got no problem with it at all. Yeah. Like you said, the coach, I thought I'd get maybe a funny quote from the coach. And Ryan Husky just kind of shrugged and said, you know, you don't need to do that. And I thought, okay, well, he doesn't want to play along. It was a frustrating night for the Calgary Flames. Let's, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. I mean, yeah. they've been on a pretty good roll of late, and this kind of uh, was a step backwards. They'll all admit that. Uh, it was a mm-hmm. real good opportunity for them to get to 500, and they, they knew that, uh, but but uh, it didn't work out for them. So, hey, weird things happen in Nashville. We can leave it at that. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll turn the page. But a, a quick couple of questions then about, you know, what a game like that does for Craig Conroy. Because just when it seemed as if the Calgary Flames had turned things around or were at least starting to turn things around, um, Rasmus Anderson with an overtime winner, uh, Jonathan Huberto with a pair of points. Like, all of a sudden, like, 
we're starting to see, okay, maybe the Calgary Flames is just taking a while and they're starting to turn this ship. And I know it's going to be slow, but and I know it's a steep claim to get there, but maybe they're starting to turn this thing around. And then last night against Nashville, where the final score, like I think you'll agree and we all will, the, the, the final score was kind to the Calgary Flames. Like if you're Craig Conroy, GM of the Calgary Flames, Eric, and you're watching this game, what's going through your mind about your team? You know, it's a good question because... Indeed, for people who don't really follow the Flames that much, they have turned it around. I think when last a lot of people looked, they'd lost six in a row, and people figured the season yeah. was over and all their UFAs were about to get traded. And, you know, they've since gone on a run. Uh, before last night's game, they were on a 5-1-2 and two run and uh, were one of the hotter teams in the league, to be honest. And, and that just complicates mm-hmm. matters for Craig Conroy. In a lot of ways, it's a whole lot easier if your team <laughs> – well, to be not to rub it in, but I do live in southern Alberta, so it's a whole lot easier in a way if they were going the way of the Oilers, because then it's like, okay, well, it's clearly it's time for yeah. a yard sale, and let's just get to business. But uh, you know, this team showed tremendous signs of life over the last two, three weeks, and I think a lot of character. So uh, when Craig Conroy sees a step back like that last night, I think it just hammers home the fact that. When you dig yourself an early hole like the Flames did, or like the Oilers obviously have, it makes it that much harder to dig out of it in a league this with this much parity. And you can play so well for three weeks like the Flames have, but you have a stinker like that and you lose pace on everybody and you seem to undo some of the good things you've been doing along the way. So what's Craig Cronway thinking? I, I still think that he wants to wait and see over the next, say, I'll put it to you this way, their next 13 games... Uh, are all pretty much all against top teams. Um, their next five in a row, I can tell you, are the top top four teams in the West. All of them. Uh, you got Dallas twice starting tomorrow. You got Vegas. You got the Canucks. Uh, you got it's it's tough, and so you're going to learn a lot about the Calgary Flames over the next five games, but also extrapolate that over the next thirteen. They're almost all juggernauts. And uh, at that yeah. point, maybe you get a clearer picture of can they hang with the big boys or is this a facade and they really are not as good as uh, we kind of worried they might not be those first six game or that, that six game losing streak. So it's uh, there are signs of life, though. Uh, but, man, you've got to be really, really good to climb all the way back into this race. Let me ask about a couple of players who've played exactly nine games this season. Um, one of them is Zach Benson with the Buffalo Sabres. Now, what Zach Benson has done with the Buffalo Sabres so far this season and last night with his first career NHL goal, and it was a beauty, as I'm sure you saw between the oh, legs. Was and that ever be a highlight forever. Way to, way, to, yeah, way to score your first career goal. Um, oh. But he's given the Buffalo Sabres like a real shot of adrenaline and something different. And, you know, it, it fires the bench up. It fires the room up. Like he's on there. Every time he's on there, something Something is happening. Um, do you feel the same way about Connor Zary? And he's not in the lineup last night, and it feels like Calgary's like it feels like Calgary's a different team. But then you say to yourself, "Hold on a second, how much different can they be? The guy's only played nine games this yeah. season. He's he's a kid still, wet behind the ears. But does it? I mean, you're closer to it than than I am, and most of our listeners slash viewers, all of them really. Does it feel that way to you? A hundred percent. And I think it's a really good analogy. I had a really good chat with uh, Benson in Buffalo earlier this year and the kid's energy is infectious and, and he's such a likable kid. Yeah. And I do think that that helps a room out and, and his teammates talked about it and it's the exact same conversations I'm having with Flames players right now about Connor Zary. And I have to add Martin Pospisil, a name that, you know, three weeks yeah. ago, I'm not sure anybody in the hockey world ever thought he would ever play in the NHL period. Uh, he's just had injury after injury for four years in the minors, makes yeah. his NHL debut, scores in it, and quite frankly, is the most exciting thing about the Calgary Flames right now. Martin Pospisil, I know that's amazing to say on a team with <laughs> some pretty high-paid guys, and so you know there's some pretty good talent on that team. He's the one everybody in the city is talking about right now. He had another great game last night. He's had an incredible energy on the ice. He hits everything that moves. He's got five points, I think, in his eight games. Um, and, and Zari, yeah. but, you know, he's got a little bit of an injury right now. That's why he sat out last night. But Zari and Pospisil have reignited Nazem Kadri on that line, but also that room. And every interview I do with almost any player, they'll talk about, you know, how do you explain this turnaround from losing six in a row to going on this pretty good run? 
where they only lost one game in regulation over eight, and they point to the kids almost every time. And, by the way, hmm. stay, stay tuned because more kids to come. Matt Coronado will be called up at some point soon. Uh, he'll be brought back to the team. He's had a really good stint in the American Hockey League. He's another guy who brings that kind of youthful exuberance to the room. Uh, and, and I think you're going to see more Dustin Wolf's coming. Again, if this thing gets away on the Flames, then, you know, by midseason, you could see, you know, almost half the roster be, you know, really young, exuberant rookies who can really energize the room. So, anyway, it's uh, those guys really are the story in Calgary so far this year. You know, one of the other big stories, and it's impossible to have a conversation about the Calgary Flames these days without mentioning the name, and that is Nikita Zadorov and later real beating on Lozon last night. A couple of fights in Gilbert and McCarron threw down last night uh, as well. Um, what's the latest with Zadorov? You know, Elliot was reporting on the weekend that Michael Backlund had a let's turn the volume down meeting with uh, various players, all the players, who knows. Um, but what is the latest with Zadorov, and, and how do you see this one playing itself out? Well, you know, what, what his agent did was put his, his client in a really bad situation, and, and, uh, and, and I blame the player, too, don't get me wrong. I mean, the way they went about it with a trade demand after a, after a pretty good outing in Toronto and the team is struggling, just adding, adding to their consternation in so many ways they didn't need to. Um, and and, and that's, that's unfortunate. Because it also makes sure that this GM can't possibly trade him anytime soon. Not just because the whole league knows that you're probably going to trade him. I think the league knew that at some point they're probably going to trade him anyway. But by doing that and being a rookie GM, the whole league is watching to see how you react. He, 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 he has no choice but to let this guy stay on the roster for at least another month or two. So a Zadorov trade will not be forthcoming anytime soon. He has been a good soldier. And I think that fight last night proved it. He's been very good on the ice. He's been a real pro on the ice. Uh, I talked to Conroy just the other day, and he had a long meeting with Zadorov and the agent. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 him and Z- <laughs> the Z- let's just put it this way: I think the meeting with Zadorov went a whole lot better than with the agent. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he has a he, he has a good relationship with Zadorov, and um, and he says, "Hey, yeah. you know, just go out there and be a pro." for as long as you're a Calgary flame and uh, we'll deal with everything else as it, as it comes later. So as he put it to me, we will deal with him like any other player. We will do what's best for the Calgary flames, but most importantly, we will do it on our timeline, not on some agent's timeline or some player's timeline. So Zadar mm-hmm. has been good, but that was so completely unnecessary and, and a real misstep in his career. I, I think. I uh, have about 30 seconds for this, and it's probably not enough, but you mentioned Dustin Wolf's name a couple of seconds ago, um, and I, I'm, I'm on the same page as you are. I, I expect to see more uh, of Dustin Wolf this season. What does that mean for Dan Vladar, though? Listen, this team's in win-now mode. They still want to salvage this season. They still want to make the playoffs. As long as that's the the mantra, Dan Vladar is going to be the backup here, and, and Markstrom will be the starter. As soon as it's clear that this team is not in the playoff race anymore, uh, Vladar would be the first guy traded. I, I, I do believe. Um, and, and then you'll see Dustin Wolf here mm. for the rest of the season. That's the way I read it. Now, if they stay right into a playoffs race, you know, past the trade deadline, which is very probable, you know, that's probable for them. Uh, then, then I don't know how often you're going to see Wolf. I know they want to see him at least a half dozen times, if not more, but that's really hard. Not just because you've got a capable backup, but because they've got such, they're so tight up against the cap. They can't willy-nilly just keep bringing guys up from the farm whenever they want. They, 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 they've got to they've got to watch right. every dime they spend. So, so, so Wolf, uh, obviously he's a big part of their future, but I'm not sure this year he's going to be a prominent player. Uh, always full value. Um, in, listen, man, in, enjoy Dallas. Uh, I'm sticking with the ghost stick conspiracy, uh, as perhaps you are as well, with uh, with Dylan Dubé, despite all evidence to the contrary. Uh, rimmed puck or not, that is a haunted stick that Dylan Dubé is playing with. You be good, pal. We'll, we'll catch up soon. Enjoy Dallas. Take care, my man. Yeah, cheers. Eric Francis uh, from Sportsnet um, covers the, uh, the Calgary Flames uh, with an eyeball on the NHL proper as well. Um, and like me, I'm sticking with the ghost stick story with Dylan Dubé. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, and Matt Marchese. For the second time this week, we do not have 
games to discuss in our sports interaction segment. So what are we talking about today? Well, Jeff, we're going to talk about President's Trophy odds. You know, the trophy that everybody doesn't want to win and doesn't end up mattering at the end of the year, but people will bet on it, so why not? Um, Let's go with uh, Mm -hmm. President's Trophy odds for this year. The Bruins lead the way at plus 450. The Golden Knights at plus 550 have the second best odds. Uh, The Stars at plus 650, the third best. The Rangers at plus 650, tied with the Stars, third best. And the Avalanche, plus 800, have Mm. the fifth best odds. So uh, a few interesting ones in there. Looks like some good value. Um, Jeff, I just wonder, like, it doesn't really matter to people if they win this trophy or not, but it ends up being a big deal, and maybe the Bruins can do it again. Uh, They might. Um, They have a shot at it. Like, it seems as if the Boston Bruins, like, almost, Maddie, the Boston Bruins can't help themselves but to win. And when you have a blue (laughs) line like that and goaltenders like that, you know, we talk about big goaltenders making accidental saves. Does it not feel like sometimes Boston just makes, like, just has, like, accidental wins? Like, hey, listen, even if we're not trying to do this, like, we're still winning games here. Like, no Bergeron, no Krejci, again, like, no problem. Uh, We're just winning games because that's what the, the Boston Bruins do. I'll tell you what, always one of my favorite, and listen, being a reporter is very hard. I've done the job before. It is really, really hard, and I understand what people are saying when they ask this question, but I've always found it weird when reporters ask coaches questions like, are you concerned that you're peaking too early? Yeah. To which, if I'm a coach, I'm saying, like, yeah, I'm going to tell them to stop winning now. Like, we're going to deliberately lose five <laughs> or six games because I want to peak going into the playoffs and I don't want to use up, like, as if, like, peak performance is a commodity that you can turn off and, and you can turn on. I understand what's behind it, but, man, please, Jim Montgomery, if someone asks you that, please say yes, and now we're going to go on a losing streak because we don't want to peak too early. I can see Boston doing it again. Uh, that was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Alex Ovechkin, controversial comments or not about saving the NHL? That's next with Scott Lachlan from NHL Morning Skates on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Lachlan joins me in a moment. By the way, he's a bad mood. Kiss concert was canceled yesterday. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So some interesting comments. And oh, by the way, as an aside, quickly here as we kick off hour two, really, really disappointed that the Dylan Dubé ghost stick mystery appears to have been solved by a hard rim around the boards, which propelled the stick to make it look like it was following Dylan Dubé like a sick puppy or a lonely puppy or just a puppy. Um, Alexander Ovechkin with some controversial comments, although I don't think they're controversial. We always think that someone's being controversial when really they're being honest, even if they are patting themselves on the back. Like, if you're right, you're right. So Rob Rossi at The Athletic has a quote from Alex Ovechkin talking about what happened at the lockout of 2004-2005. Says Ovechkin, we saved the league, now they come in, and I guess we're old news, but we saved it. It's up to those guys to come in and prove me wrong that we're not the best. Quote, we saved the NHL. Spoiler, he's not wrong. Here for comments on this and other NHL issues is great Scott Lachlan, who uh, may have still a tear in his eye. I know you're very upset about Kiss canceling their uh, (laughs) performance last night in Toronto after canceling in Ottawa as well. Montreal got to see Kiss, and I can very well recall 1979. It was August 4th, uh, my first real rock show with my dad and my sister, not sitting, but standing in the Greys, seeing Kiss, and the opening band was a, it was a crew called New England, uh, and it was like maybe the biggest spectacle I'd ever seen in my life. That's how I felt at that moment. So I got to have a great Kiss rock experience back in 1979 and know how great a show they put on, Scotty. So I'm feeling for you today, but I'm feeling for you, and I was feeling for you yesterday when I saw that, those pictures and video from Paul Stanley last night mm. saying, eh, it's not going to happen. 
Yeah, the, the the saving grace for me, Jeff, is you know I I've, I've seen them roughly thirty five times over the years. I've seen them in four different cities and a couple wow. of different countries. So you know I'm I'm happy that I I at least got to to see them as many times as I did over the years. I just wanted them to have the correct send off and the right send off and the the best way possible to say goodbye to Canada. And and for me, that's that's the disappointing part uh, because normally you know this is the type of show that gets canceled where you say, okay, well, we'll make it up on the next leg of the tour. You know, we'll come back in, in yeah. uh, December or January when Paul's feeling much better. We'll get a rescheduled date. We'll check the Raptors schedule. We'll check the Leafs schedule. We'll find a date at Scotiabank Arena. As you know, I mean, they've got a handful of dates still coming up in the U.S., but it's all building towards next weekend at Madison Square Garden. They're selling pay-per-views. Uh, for that final show on December the 2nd. So this is the end-of-the-road tour, and I know people always want to snicker. Yeah, this is a rock and roll. Yeah, we're, we're saying goodbye, but for the right price, we'll come back again. Uh, I just think this is it. I mean, Gene Simmons is 74. Uh, he's lugging around 37 pounds of equipment every time he goes on stage. <laughs> At some point, it's going to have to end. And like I said, I mean, I yeah. I feel great that I've been able to see them over the years as many times as I, I have seen them. Uh, uh, but I feel sad in the fact that this is not the way that they were supposed to say goodbye uh, to Toronto and to uh-huh. Canada in general. And, and that's what I'm going to miss most about it, I think. Uh, I, I'm one of those people that subscribe to the there's always one more tour or there's always <laughs> one more show. I mean, one of the, one of the most formative moments for my, uh, of my youth was recording the Who's final shows it. ever. Uh, 1982. I remember it was it was two shows and I recorded both concerts. Chum mm-hmm. FM broadcast them, and I remember taping right. them. I still have the cassettes somewhere. Um, and so, and then I, I think I've seen the Who six or seven times since that final tour back in 1982. <laughs> so cross your fingers, Scotty. It might uh, it might not be over. Yeah. Well, you know what, Jeff? I mean, I, I've got that show, and I watched it live, too. I watched the simulcast on radio, and I think City Television was showing it on TV that particular night. And, and yes, I watched that yes. show, and I was, I was sad. I was upset. You know, I was, I was, what, 12, 13 years of age at that point, but I knew about rock and roll history at that point. Uh, I've got that show on DVD now, and I watched that on occasion still, the show they did at Maple Leaf Gardens, and kind of segueing into hockey a little bit here, I I enjoyed the performance. I still enjoy the performance that Who put on that particular night. I also like looking around Maple Leaf Gardens and just seeing the old out of town scoreboard. And you'd see like, you know, uh, uh, the North Stars uh, logo was up there uh, against the uh, Edmonton Oilers logo. And I wonder who won that game that particular night and things like that. So yeah, just little things like that. Note that we make note of. All Star Wrestling. Let's not forget about that. Yeah. That was a great banner at Maple Leaf Gardens as well. Oh, Toronto Star those, Indoor uh, Games, like the so track good. and field event, right, Jeff? The Toronto Star Indoor Games. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, all of it, man. Taking me back uh, again. I always make the point. Like for the longest time, Maple Leaf Gardens was the only place where I could find my two favorite treats as a kid. One was Fresca, and the yeah. other was Frutella. Oh, uh, the, the, the only place you can get them oh. was Maple Leaf Garden, Scott. Every third Sunday, Jeff, you, you'd appreciate this. I mean, every third Sunday, I went to the NWA wrestling cards, okay? So late 1970s into Same. the early 1980s. Same. Every third Sunday, yes. we would have our home games, generally speaking, uh, at Ted Reeve Arena, which I know you know all about. And we'd be playing at Ted Reeve yep. at, let's say, you know, puck drop would be 5.30, 6 o'clock. As soon as the game ended, I would get my dad... And I would get my, my, my buddy, my, my goaltender, uh, and his dad, and the four of us, we would go down to Maple Leaf Gardens right after we played an MTHL game. We'd race down there. Uh, we would see, you know, the, the, the opening matches, you know, the undercard, if you will, and it would be Tony Cannonball Parisi against Bob Marcus or something like yes. that. And uh, then you'd have the heavyweight matches come out in a little bit. And you're right. I don't know what it is, but yeah, Frutella was like the snack du jour. I would always have Frutella at wrestling every third <laughs> Sunday when the when the Tunnies used to present those cards. 
Oh, just just glorious stuff. Um, we could go back. Like it's funny too because I look at that. I look at that great old that great old barn, and it's um, it's hockey uh, at a lot of mm-hmm. different levels with a lot of different leagues. It's uh, it's concerts, whether it was the Beatles or a Kiss or or whomever rolling through, and it was pro wrestling because Sheik would run there. He would come up from Detroit. Uh, you're right. Like there was a promotion. There was a promotion between Tunney and Crockett, so the Mid Atlantic guys would come up as well, and they had to have the top three matches. So I saw Young Flair and Young Steamboat and Young. Jones and Youngblood and Slaughter and Kernoodle and go on and on and on. Oh, yeah. And then Nat Tarofsky. The, the Tarofskys were there to document all of it. For my money, the best sports photographers of all time. But I digress. Yeah, um, one last thing. Yeah, one about, last thing. And I, I, I know yeah. we're going to exclude about 75% of the country by talking about this. But do you remember there was a guy at Maple Leaf Gardens? <laughs> there was a guy at Maple Leaf Gardens, an old guy by the name of Pops. Do you remember Pops? He used Pops. to walk around selling oh, ice cream bars. We all bought bars. ice cream bars. Yeah. We all bought ice cream bars from Pops. Hunter yeah, Pops to. was the best. Absolutely. He was he was great. And Steve Coolius, your colleague at the yep. NHL Network Radio, was an usher there as well mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for a number of years. But Pops, no, Pops was a guy that everybody bought ice cream bars from. That's like, right. Always That's wanted, right. You know, I, I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story about Harold Ballard, too, the mm-hmm. old owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So my baseball coach at High Park, a gentleman by the name of Dick Perry, wonderful guy, um, he was an usher there in the blues, which were very sneaky, good seats. Like, you know, if you got blues, like those were good. Those were, you had to be, you had to be, this is before the nets. So you had to pay attention when pucks were coming hot off a of deflection, but those were good seats. And, you know, Harold Ballard always had the reputation of being really, really cheap, you know, contract disputes with Sittler, contract disputes with Salming, you know, would squeeze the beaver on the nickel till it squealed. Like really, really, mm-hmm. like really cheap owner, like the classic definition. And uh, Dick told me this story about how his son uh, made it into the University of Toronto and was going to become the first member of their family to go to university. And it was a big, proud moment for his family. And he said that Harold pulled him aside one day and said, look, like, like Dick was a high school, he was a, was a baseball coach, also an electrician, uh, didn't make a ton of money, and like, getting his kid through university was, was going to be an issue. And he said that Harold Ballard said to him, look, uh, I'm going to make you a deal. Uh, I know this is a big deal for your family, your son making it to university, University of Toronto. I'll tell you what, I'll pay for your kid's university if you promise not to tell anybody because I don't want anyone to think that I'm soft. But I don't pay you a lot here to be an usher. But that's a great thing for your family. I'll pay all of it, but don't say anything to anybody. That was Harold Ballard. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and I've always talked about him as being such a polarizing figure, and that's what made the Michael Gettys, Jason Priestley uh, documentary, the yes. Harold, Harold Ballard story, that much more intriguing to me uh, was the fact that they did present both sides as well. And, and to your point, and I know we got to get to some NHL topics here, obviously, but uh, you know the, the the reality was I, I knew a woman. Her name was Shirley Quintilian. She worked in the Reds. Uh, she was the wife of my uh, first hockey coach in MTHL, Ron Sr. And surely every time we go to wrestling, we'd go over to see her. And with Nutella in one hand, and in the right hand, you'd have a, a, a big. Uh, brown bag of popcorn filled up by Shirley, who was giving us some freebies uh, from the concession stands. <laughs> uh, I mentioned uh, it to Gord one day, Gord Stellick, and, and Gord said, yeah, popcorn Shirley. Everybody knew yeah. popcorn Shirley. But Shirley used to really tell us what a great guy Harold was and how well he took care of his workers at Maple Leaf Gardens. So, again, you know, we, we know that he loved Salming. Uh, we know he loved a lot of the workers. We know there were guys and players on the Leafs that were at odds with, with Harold as well, and that's pointed out in the Harold Ballard story documentary too. But it just goes to show, I mean, what a polarizing guy he was. He had two different sides to yeah. him, and, you know, Gord was certainly a guy that, that, that knew about both of those sides. Okay, so let me ask, as we transition to hockey, because, listen, I'm happy to talk about Frutella and Fresca with you all day long here, but I guess, you know, the demands of doing the show, sure, I guess I have sure. to. Well, let, me, let me ask you about this. Is this a controversial statement? It's from Alexander Ovechkin. We saved the league. Now, they come in, and I guess we're old news, but we saved it. It's up to those guys that come in and prove me wrong that we're not the best. This is Ovechkin talking about... You know, at the end of the 0405 lockout, him and Sidney Crosby, like the NHL got a you know shiny new rules package and a shiny mm-hmm. new salary cap, uh, and a new sheriff and Brendan Shanahan and two st- and a new logo, 
Um, it got a fresh coat of paint and a new executive director for the NHL Players Association as well in the in, in the process. And it got two stars that they kind of built all of this around. Everything was Crosby versus Ovechkin. They were going to market players. And these were the two that were going to propel the NHL and they did. The HBO 24-7 series, Road to the Winter Classic, uh, built around those players and those teams specifically. Is it a controversial statement, or is he just speaking the truth when Ovechkin says, we saved the league? Yeah, I, I, I think there is some truth to it. I don't know that it's entirely true. Uh, I think the NHL would have been just fine. Uh, but I also do look at it, it's almost that comparable with the NBA, right? When, when, when Bird and Magic came in off that great NCAA championship game, we knew about the NBA and all the problems that they were having. Uh, they kind of built it all up, and then some guy named Michael Jordan, of course, came over and just basically took it to an entirely different level, and they've never looked back. Uh, I think the NHL, though, Crosby, Ovechkin, would be the, the nearest comparable to it. But I like what you said, too, because when you, you mentioned that statement originally, Jeff, I thought to myself, well... Yeah, you enhanced the league, you boosted the league, uh, but I think what you hit on as well was was a real big boon for the league in terms of uh, the clampdown coming out of the work stoppage, the clampdown on hooking and holding and obstruction penalties that were all all the rage, especially until the players got got wind of what they could and couldn't do. And look, I remember oh five oh six ish, and I remember us talking almost on a daily basis about all the power plays. I mean, how can this go on? And you know, yeah. this team had ten power play opportunities the night before, and is this good for the game and the whole bit? I think the game changed. It got faster. It got more skilled. And I think some of that was the the faces and the personalities and the the greatness of of Ovechkin and Crosby that really uh, enhanced it, if nothing else. But I think that the rule changes really helped. And again, there are going to be pros and cons, people that are in favor of the cap system that the commissioner implemented with the owner's approval, of course, and the 50-50 split that they eventually got to and that sort of thing. And there are going to be detractors that say, you know what, we needed to have Colorado and Detroit and the Leafs and the Rangers be powers each and every year, and we needed to have everybody else kind of piece things together along the way uh, to heck with competitive balance. So, uh, look, I, I don't think that they save the NHL. I think the NHL would be doing just fine, thank you, at this point here. But I would go so far as to say they enhanced it. They gave it a, a real necessary boost at that time. You know, the the interesting thing about it too, Scotty, as we look back on it now, is that was a real sort of deliberate effort by the NHL to move away from the logo in front to the nameplate on the back, mm-hmm. where they were much more comfortable marketing personalities as opposed to, you know, tonight, Washington versus Pittsburgh. No, it's Crosby versus Ovechkin. Right. I mean, other sports have caught up to this years and years ago. We all know how hockey kind of comes to these things last, and it's always been a team first, me second type sport. But that was the, the first time where the NHL really seemed to deliberately target personalities and market around those personalities. Yeah, I think so, Jeff. I think you're right. And let's not forget the first and only commissioner this league's ever known was a guy who came from the NBA. And the NBA was the first league to kind of promote, hey, it's Magic uh, in the Lakers versus Bird in the Celtics. And it's Michael Jordan in the Bulls against Isaiah Thomas in the Pistons. Uh, You know, I always say that, too. I mean, we all know this. The the NHL hockey is the ultimate team sport, uh, the ultimate in team sports. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I think that we, we do recognize that. We don't lose sight of it. But it doesn't you know, hurt matters to have marquee attractions. And I think especially for the American viewership out there, uh, I think that they need to have those names. And I think you need to market those types of personalities. And I think that's where Ovechkin and Crosby come in, uh, coming in at virtually the same time to the NHL. And, of course, Malkin after and, and the whole bit. I mean, they've, they, they, they've kind of you know, not looked back on that in terms of the, the selling the star power of the game itself, which I think, like I said, is a necessity, especially in the U.S. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think they mm-hmm. saved the NHL, but they certainly gave it a, a much-needed boost. So, uh, listen, you, Gord, uh, you and Tyler Mataraz go over this every single day. All the storylines, all the scores, uh, all of it. So you're probably the best person to ask this one. The, Q, the, the QOD today, I'm going to go over this with Matt Marchese at the bottom of the hour. The QOD today is what is the most interesting storyline in hockey at the U.S. Thanksgiving break? Now, a lot of the knee-jerk and the default is... 
what's happened to the Edmonton Oilers. And mm-hmm. ultimately, that's probably the right the right answer. But is there one that's really, and maybe it is Edmonton. I don't want to bias the jury here, Scott. But what's the one for you that has really found a home as far as storyline, positive, negative, whatever, um, you know, uh, animal, vegetable, mineral, whatever. What's the storyline for you? Well, I tell you what, the first thing I thought of was Edmonton. I'll take the low-hanging fruit there, Jeff, because as you know, I mean, it's the story that gives and gives and gives, and it's it's not a good story to be told, certainly, when you have to change coaches and when you demote a goaltender who's on a 5 by 5 contract. I mean, that's not kind of how you draw it up if you're Daryl Cates in the Edmonton Oilers. So aside from the obvious in the Edmonton Oilers, how about a positive story? Or how about a positive story or two from the Sunshine okay. State? Right? Like, how about, how about Florida mm. withstanding Montour and Ekblad being out for as long as they were, being second in the Atlantic Division? I know they got tripped up by Boston last night, as, as most teams do. But, but how about Florida withstanding the loss of, of two key defensemen and still being right there in the mix? And how about Tampa? Give them a lot of credit at 9-6-5. and five. I thought for sure when they said Vasilevsky's out, okay, Uh, It's going to be a matter of a day or two, perhaps, before Tampa has to go out and get a goaltender, whether it be a waiver claim, whether it be going out to make a a significant trade. You have to boost the position. Uh, Okay, if you like Jonas Johansson as a backup, that's fine, but he can't be a starting goaltender in the league. Then he goes out, and at one point, I think he had back-to-back shutouts. Matt Tompkins was a great story representing Canada at the Olympics and things of that nature. But, hey, here's a journeyman, and he steps in and has the only success he's ever known in the NHL, too. So I would look at those two stories as big stories that stand out to me from a positive standpoint jeff and that is hockey in the state of florida the panthers being right there and the tampa bay lightning being right behind them despite some significant key losses okay uh one thing i do want to i do want to remind you of too um low-hanging fruit is still nutritious that's okay scott like that's been my entire career just go for the low-hanging fruit sure, every, sure. every single time but the, the one other you know one, one other point about the florida panthers i mean is it four sellouts in a row now mm-hmm. for the florida panthers like we talk about what last year's stretch drive did yep. in the presence of um, the presence of Matthew Kachuk, you know, popping as a as a as a superstar in the Sunshine State, like both on and off the ice here, and we are wondering what kind of boost Florida was going to get from a couple of things: one, the Stanley Cup run; two, the All Star Weekend uh, that was a, that was a smashing success. We were wondering what kind of boost they were going to get, and so far, so good for the Florida Panthers. Yeah. And now they're doing it, and that was a tough one against Boston last night, and now they're doing it without Barkov as well, which is a whole new, different challenge too. Well, I think, too, Jeff, when it comes to attendance, the most impressive thing is that uh, those that are down there, they tell us that the majority of fans that show up at the rink now are Panthers fans. Because you used to kind of take it for granted, right? Well, the snowbirds are down there, and it's early in the season, and you kind of get lost in the shuffle of football season, basketball season starting up, and and things of that nature. Uh, You know, most of the fans that show up at the building will be wearing the sweaters of the opposition, you know, namely the original six, right? The Boston fans and the uh, the, uh, New York fans, uh, the uh, Canadians fans and Leafs fans are going to show up in droves, but the Panthers fans are going to be vastly outnumbered. Now they're telling us the majority of people that show up are Panthers fans and supporters and they're the ones that are making all the noise so i think that's the most exciting uh, news i think the panthers could probably have and you're right the question was how could they build off that great yet unexpected run last spring i would say they've done just fine thank you and i mean you kind of knew going into this season despite the key losses that they had well it's another full season with paul maurice and now there's no trying to figure out what the coach is expecting of the yeah. players what the players are expecting from the coach it seems to be a real good symbiotic working relationship and they've been a great story again like we say i mean boston's kind of in a world of their own right now in the atlantic division but still i guess within yeah. shouting distance might be the panthers and the tampa bay lightning and now that the panthers are back to being healthy like you say the illness for barkov mm-hmm. here is a bit of a concern uh, bennett missing all that time like he did you know at different times during the season uh, has been of concern but you know they get him back and you know the tampa bay lightning getting the future hockey hall of famer back between the pipes too is not going to hurt their cause either yeah, certainly true. Okay, how about the team that's 9-1-1? One, and one? We talked about Ovechkin off the top here after we were done with Maple Leaf Gardens and Fresca. Um, the Washington Capitals, 9-1-1. One, and one. Dylan Strome with the overtime heroics uh, yesterday. If we have time, I want to ask you about the Buffalo Sabres and, and Devin Levi. But your thoughts on... You know, the Washington Capitals. I had Brian McClellan, general manager of the Caps, on the on the program yesterday. And, you know, we had a conversation about aging curves. And he said that, yeah, you know, he does think about it often. 
um, with this team, but it still seems as if there's there's a lot of juice in the squeeze still for the Washington Capitals. Again, we're not even at the, the quarter mark of the season. That's going to be Florida-Toronto next week, but the Caps look really nice. Should I say surprise? Should I say it this way, Scott? The Caps look surprisingly good based on expectations. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I enjoyed that conversation uh, a lot, Jeff. And uh, I agree with you. I mean, Brian McClellan, as big as he was on the ice, a- as mean as he could look at times, he didn't want to give him, you know, too much uh, of eye contact. And you're right, Kurt Fraser with those chiseled jaw features he had, people would want to stay away from him <laughs> back in the day when they, they, they patrolled yeah. the wings in the NHL, of course, on a regular basis. But, you know, when you talk about this addition to the, the Washington Capitals, and we talk about Ovechkin too, what, five goals so far for Ovechkin? You would have said before yeah. the season began, yeah. If at any point the Caps were going on a 9-1-1 one, and one run, it was going to be because Ovi was probably on a tear and he was scoring goals like he usually scores goals. That's not been the case. And Dylan Strom gets his eighth last night to win it for Washington. They come from behind to win. Uh, he's yep. been such a great story. Uh, he, he's really turned the corner, I think, here on his NHL career. He's got the contract. He's a father a couple of times over. Looks like he's really kind of grown up on and off the ice, and that's been great to see. How about Connor McMichael from Ajax, right? I mean, Connor McMichael steps in there, and he looks like he's ready to take off now. And, you know, we talked about these guys that they've had in the pipeline for the last couple of years. Uh, he's a real good player to watch. Watch, as we know, we talked about what they missed last season with Carlson and such, too. How they were doing it with the, mm-hmm. the goaltending situation that they had. And know Kemper's back now, which is great. But, you know, you're throwing some you know the different goalies in there. Uh, you're talking about Chucky Lindgren. You're talking about Hunter Shepard. What a great story he was coming off the Calder Cup uh, run last year he had. So uh, they've been managing to piece it together. And I have to say, the first week or two, especially given some of the setbacks they had, I was kind of worried about Spencer Carberry. And I'm thinking, man. And this is a tough way for him to start. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this could be a real yeah. tough go here for this first-time NHL head coach. We've seen what it's been like for Pascal Vincent trying to, you know, fend off all the challenges that come his way in Columbus. I was worried about Carberry getting that start the first couple of weeks, but, boy, they come around. I know you're an Ajax guy, so no surprise. You're mentioning Connor McMichael. Mm-hmm. Uh, played at Ajax Pickering with the AAA Raiders. Shout out Danny Minnings, who also coaches my kid. We'll see if he can come anywhere close to the success that Connor McMichael is enjoying in the NHL. But uh, nonetheless, there it is. Okay, I got a couple of minutes to ask you about the Sabres. And I want to focus in on one player specifically. As much as Zach Benson was phenomenal last night. And that goal, I mean, you talk about your first career NHL goal. Tremendous um, by Benson last night. I want to ask you about Devin Levi because now the save percentage is in the 870s. And, you know, I was skeptical uh, at the beginning of the season that Devin Levi was going to be able to do something that college goaltenders don't do. And that is go from college right into the NHL. But what about Ken Dryden? Well, Ken Dryden spent 20 games uh, in the minors as well, coming out of Cornell before he went on that miracle run with the Montreal Canadiens. Like, it, you know this, Scotty, you're a student of this. It doesn't happen. And I didn't see anything in Devin Levi's game specifically that said, this is the reason why Devin Levi is going to buck that trend. And he's going to be fine going right from Northeastern to the Buffalo Sabres like an Olympic diver, no ripple and it's been tough and he's not giving them you know anywhere close to 900 and the league average I think is 902 um, save percentage type goaltending I can't help but think that what Devin Levi needs was the same thing that all young goaltenders need and that is time in the American Hockey League and not two weeks in the American Hockey League but a season in the American Hockey League. I know a lot of people in Buffalo do not want to hear that. Do you have a thought on what the Sabres are doing with Devin Levi? And do you have a thought on what they should do with Devin Levi? Well, I mean, first of all, with what you said there and the adjustment that has to take place, uh, I started to think about this recently, too, and we saw it with our own very eyes. Tom Barrasso goes to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and we watched him play as a high schooler coming into the NHL. Like, that's phenomenal. That's never, ever going to be done again, where a kid can jump from high school into the NHL and, oh, by the way, become the best goalie on the planet as an 18-going-on-19-year-old kid. It's amazing what Barrasso accomplished stepping in with Buffalo. Uh, Getting back to Levi, though, look, some growing pains are happening 
happening. There's no doubt. The saving grace for Buffalo has been the fact that UPL has, has played fairly well, right? Like he's been the best of their, their three yeah. goaltenders so far this season. So it maybe gives them a little bit of insulation there. But I think that they expected Levi to be the guy. Uh, he's not quite there yet. Uh, their blue line is still a bit of a work in progress, as you see on a, on a regular basis. And, you know, as we know, when you talk about team defense, it's not just the blue line core one through six, one through seven. It's everybody buying into the defensive type concepts and, and, and things like that that you have to do to win in the NHL. So uh, I'd like to see them go out. And I think maybe, because we heard going back to the summer, didn't we, Jeff, about Brett Pesci? And, hey, Brett Pesci was as close to being a Buffalo Sabre as anybody. Oh, yeah. And it just fell through. It didn't happen. Uh, now, again, he, Eric Johnson's yeah. been a bit of a good story for them here lately. Uh, but, again, are they good enough on the back end here to insulate the young goaltenders? Probably not. So maybe there lies the challenge in terms of what they do in going forward. I think we still probably wonder about Olafson, and we thought that may, he might have been traded by now. And, you know, could he find his way out, especially in a couple of weeks' time when Jack Quinn gets back in? Uh, maybe. Um, what they do with Zach Benson, first NHL goal, tremendous skill. Uh, in scoring that goal last night in Washington. Uh, they got to make a decision on him, like, in the next couple of hours, certainly in the next couple of days uh, <laughs> for the Sabres. But, you know, getting back to it, uh, look, I, I think yeah. with what we saw from Levi at the World Juniors years ago, uh, with what we saw with what he did in back-to-back years in college where he was the top goaltender in the collegiate game, I think, for the most part, um, he's got the pedigree. I just think he needs to be better insulated. Now, whether that's in Rochester or in the NHL with a a better Sabres blue line and defensive commitment and things of that nature remains to be seen. I think they stick it out with him for at least a little while longer, and and then you see where it goes. And then you have to factor in, well, is Eric Comrie getting traded at some point? Because we think he's probably the odd man out when it comes to that three-goalie-type system that they've got in Buffalo. We'll have to wait and see. You know, I say this all as a Canadian hockey fan. I just don't want them to wreck what might be our best chance at a good goaltender in the next international competition. <laughs> like, let's you not rush this guy to the we've NHL. We've talked about it for so many years. I mean, for other countries like Finland and Sweden and the U.S., of course, with all the great goaltenders they've got, not to mention oh, yeah. Russia, uh, if they ever get back to yep. being on the world stage again from a hockey perspective, uh, they, they, don't have, yep. they don't have many problems deciding. They've got more than enough guys that can fill that role as a starting goaltender in international competition. But you're right. The last couple of years, we've had to we've had to go pretty deep down. I think to to really come up with a list. Mackenzie Blackwood, right this way, sir. <laughs> Mackenzie Blackwood, right this way. Uh, Scotty, always great catching up. Uh, a drag about kiss. Uh, I hate to hate to see that happen. I know you're looking forward to that show. But thanks for stopping by on the program. As always, sharing your expertise for as long as you did. It's always appreciated. Anytime, Jeff. Thank you. Scott Lachlan from uh, NHL Morning Skate on the NHL Network Radio on Sirius XM Channel 91. Him and Gord are outstanding uh, as a tremendous hockey morning show. Uh, On that, we'll take a quick break. We'll take a pause. We'll step away, however you want to phrase it. When we come back, the QOD is pretty simple. What is the most interesting storyline in hockey at the U.S. Thanksgiving break? There's no games tonight. So have a little chin scratch about this one. We'll go over some of your answers with Matt Marchese in a couple of moments. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360, it's the Merrick Show. Back in a moment. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. You'll hear me and you'll hear Matt Marchese. How are you, Matty? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. Um... Do you have a, rem- a memory of your first rock show? I just pontificating there and having a nice conversation with Scott Lachlan about my first rock show, which was Kiss in uh, 1970, 1979. Maddie was a rock show at the old Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, do you have a, a first that you can recall? I do. Uh, I was 11 years old and I went to yeah. the Tragically Hip concert at was then the Hershey Center in Mississauga, Ontario. So that was my first foray. Oh, nice. Yep, yep. Uh, that's a good What album would that have been, just to make me feel extra old? Do you remember? 
I want to say it was music at work, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's making me feel old. Okay, let's move along. Um, <laughs> hockey things and the, Q, the QOD about the most interesting storyline at the U.S. Thanksgiving break. Uh, what are people serving up? And actually, before we get there, what's yours? Uh, for me, honestly, Jeff, like I think it's the Canucks. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I'll actually lead into that from one of our favorite tweeters, um, <clears throat> which is funny because yeah. his name is One Dirty Parrot. Uh, the reverse Uno card of the Canucks and Oilers, which is true <laughs> because at this point last year, we were talking about how bad the Canucks were at this point in the season and what's going to happen there and who are they going to trade and all that stuff. And it's literally been the exact reverse. The Oilers were flying at the beginning of last year, and now it's the Canucks that are flying and the Oilers that are floundering. So I really, I like the reverse Uno card put there by uh, by one dirty a- parrot. Yeah, see the 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 one thing, and I'll like we didn't have enough time to. Con- we, it's a radio show and TV property, so we have this sort of authority of time that we have to measure up against. Um, but Elliot and I will go a little probably deeper into it during the uh, the podcast we'll record after this show goes off the air. But I can't help thinking, like at some point. If you're Edmonton, do you not have to make a panic move? Like, all I can think about is at the end of the season, if the Oilers continue the way they're going right now and and don't make any moves because they know they'll get fleeced in a trade because no one's helping them out at this point, like, what's the value of standing there at the end of the season? Your team doesn't make the playoffs. You squandered another year of Connor McDavid and his prime and Leon Dreisland his time, and you stand there proudly saying, yes, but we didn't get pressured into making a panic move. Know what I mean? Yeah, and and I don't disagree with that at all. I think we're I think we're getting close to that point, Jeff. Because at what point do you have to look at the season and go, okay, if we don't make it, like we're in big trouble? Not only because you know the fan base is going to be super unhappy, but what about our best players? And I think they're there. I think they need to make a panic move sooner rather than later. And yeah, you're going to overpay for somebody that you probably didn't want to overpay for, but this is the nature of the business right now. And you got to do something soon because this is slowly starting to slip away. And I didn't think we would be having that conversation about the Oilers because the roster is the same as last year and they were good last year. They just couldn't get stops and can't score five on five. Is that important? I'm new to hockey. Do you have to score five on five and get saves? I'm new to the game. Is that crucial to success? Yeah, might be. Yeah, might might be something that they might consider as being crucial, but I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe somebody's telling them something different. (laughs) All right. Uh, what else are people serving up as a f- uh, as the um, as the worm turns? Uh, so, oh, speaking of worm, uh, maybe that's why I've got Corey Perry on the mind. A uh, couple <laughs> of things here from Chicago quickly. Uh, Luke Richardson, Chicago Blackhawks head coach, saying the Corey Perry situation. He was scratched last night, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. If you don't know, um, got bombed by the. Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, no Corey Perry in the lineup. Uh, Luke Richardson said the Corey Perry, this is from a Charlie Romiliotis tweet, uh, who covers the Blackhawks. Luke Richardson said the Corey Perry situation will be kept in-house. No other details to share for now. Uh, Charlie goes on to tweet, Nick Foligno said, quote, we haven't really gotten any details on what's going on with Corey Perry. Connor Bedard didn't know much either. I'm not going to speak on it too much. Obviously, it sucks. He's not here. He's a big part of our team. Hmm. So I'm going out with Corey. That's Perry a weird one. Blackhawks. It is a weird one. I think a lot of eyebrows were raised when he got the uh, the health bomb yesterday against CBJ. But another storyline developing, uh, which may turn into one of the more interesting <laughs> ones around the NHL if it isn't already. Uh, what else are people serving up on the QOD? So speaking of Chicago. Um, Speaking of Chicago, I mean, the, the the Chicago Wolves are a very interesting story in the AHL. And this one from Tony yes. Androkaitis. The Carolina Hurricanes, Chicago Wolves, beginning to work together again. Wolves' first AHL team in okay. the league without an NHL partner since the 94-95 season. So, quick rewind, the backstory on this one. So, the Carolina Hurricanes... Um, no longer affiliated with the Chicago Wolves of the American Hockey League. The Chicago Wolves are independent this season. Um, There is not exactly any love lost between the two sides. To say this has been an acrimonious split is to really undersell it. Like, I'll, I'll be blunt, at times it's been real nasty. 
between these two teams, the Carolina Hurricanes and the Chicago Wolves. Now, what Tony is pointing at, and, and Tony covers the American Hockey League, and he's really good at it too um, for a living, is what's happening now is it seems as if there's, I don't know about thaw, that might be a little bit strong, but the Chicago Wolves now are allowing Carolina Hurricanes players to be placed there. Or maybe we should say Carolina is now starting to place some players with the Chicago Wolves, obviously with the blessing of the Chicago Wolves. Now, they have a lot of six-digit contracts in Mm -hmm. the American Hockey League. Chicago does. I think it's like 15. I think it's 15 (laughs) six-digit contracts. Wonder why. I think their payroll. I think the. I think the payroll is three million. Last time I asked someone about it, I think it's a three million dollar payroll, and currently Chicago is last in the Central Division of the American Hockey League, with a record of three eight one and one. So you may look at that cynically and say, "Well, of course they're taking Carolina players. They just need bodies. Losing will do that." I think the way this thing plays itself out is. After this year of being independent and running up a huge tab, uh, I can see Chicago having an an NHL affiliate next season, whether it's Carolina or another team, and then Carolina goes in to take that other team's AHL affiliate. I'm not sure, but it feels as if the longer this story goes on, that that's probably the way this thing is headed because if Chicago was successful with this formula, I think that they would probably stay as an independent, but that's not happening. So at the American Hockey League level, that is one of and maybe the big storyline going on right now at U.S. Thanksgiving. Did I explain that well For enough? For sure. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. Um, so let's let's stick on something outside the NHL just for a second because I know we want to get to this. Um Uh, This is from S underscore 35, and they asked you to touch on the situation with the Windsor Spitfires today. They fired their coach and subsequently two former NHLers, Andy Elmgar and and Michael Layton, um, they resigned. So what's the latest there? Okay. (laughs) Okay, how much time do we have? Okay, so, uh, (laughs) yes, Windsor Spitfires, um, and they're on the road with, one uh, at this point, one coach. Um, So last year... As much as I've been able to piece together, it sounds like the decision for the new head coach was between Jared Smith and Andy Delmore, and it went to Jared Smith. Okay, that happens. Andy Delmore is still there as an assistant. Michael Layton's there as a goalie coach. Um, they brought in someone by the name of Casey Torres as well, who worked with the Hartford Wolfpack of the American Hockey League for a season and then was into Windsor as an assistant. And after Jared Smith was fired, um, the decision was made to bring on Casey Torres as the interim head coach. And so if you're Andy Delmore, you're saying to yourself, okay, so I don't mind losing the job to Jared Smith. That's understandable. But if I'm going to get passed over again, what's the point of me being here? So he resigns. And then Wednesday evening, Michael Layton resigns. So heading out on the road, and this is all during Silver Stick Weekend. Let's remind everybody. So all the GMs want to be out there uh, to see the kids that are going to be part of the draft. Um, The Windsor Spitfires are heading out on the road with only one coach. I would have to, again, assume, maybe that's too strong a word, but I would think that Bill Bowler might end up behind the bench as well until they can find some coaches for this Windsor Spitfires teams that have designs and plans for the playoffs this year, even though they were the team last year that won the Shane Wright sweepstakes, and they're a team that spent a lot of capital, let's just say, to bring him in. Um, So that's a situation with Windsor. As best that I've been able to piece it together this morning, who knows what the afternoon is going to bring. But it's... uh, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing in the Ontario Hockey League, Maddie. It's a. It's very much a thing. I mean, it seems like oh. half the league's been fired behind the bench so far this season. <laughs> like a couple of months in, and half the half the teams have already fired their coaches. So there is availability, Jeff. So you and I could go behind the bench of an OHL team very shortly. That's what you're saying. You can't take the pay cut. I can. Oh, I don't know. I think I think I could take the pay cut. Uh, anyway, uh, another one, and this is from a former junior star, now turned NHL star. This is from okay. Frozen Leafs. 
Connor Bedard leading the league in five on five goals. And before this season no, started, Jeff. The, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, Connor Bedard that's is not what, leading in five on five goals. That's what that's what Frozen Leaf said. I think regardless of that mm. point, Connor Bedard having this success, I'm checking it right now. Yeah, I'm gonna check this. I don't think he's leading in uh even straight goals. No, David Connor Sis also one. get on this. Crosby's two. And Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard is three. He's tied with okay. Brandon Hagel, Austin Matthews, Miko Ranton, and David Pasternak, Brian Ross. Like, okay. he's, listen, he's good company, he's but he's not leading the so, strength goals. So uh, an addendum. How about this? Frozen Leafs. Connor Bedard okay. is third in sure. the league in five-on-five goals. And um, so at the beginning of the season, you and I had spoken about you know, the expectations for Connor Bedard and how the season was going to go and yeah. how was he going to, you know, play with this team. And, you know, Taylor Hall's out for the rest of the year. And and Connor Bedard is still putting up numbers that I think even to you and I are eye-opening. And I certainly did not expect him to be this good this quickly playing with men. Yeah. Um, somebody actually took a picture the other day. He was doing an interview, a sit-down with a, with a kid for like one of those kid interviews. And they called him Mr. Quadzilla. Like Connor Bedard is absolutely shredded. And we should not be surprised <laughs> that he's having the success that he's having yeah. because he is must-watch TV on a team that, let's face it, Jeff, is not must-watch teams. I've had two Quadzilla moments in my career. One was the first time I went into the Pittsburgh Penguins um, locker room and did an interview with Sidney Crosby. Uh, and I remember his legs were like ginormous. And I remember thinking like, am I the same species? Like like on my birth certificate, it says like male, but I don't have legs like that. Um, and the other one was sitting next to Martin St. Louis. You want to talk about like oh, Godzilla? Yeah. San Luis legs are enormous. I think Marty Jelena is probably in that mix. I mean, there's a number of them, but those are just those are just my experiences. But yeah, Mike Bedard is like Bedard is torn up like a bad report card. He really is. Kid is jacked. Kid is like ready for the NHL. Um, yeah. Am I surprised? I guess a little. I mean, I always set expectations low for rookies, no matter who they are. No matter mm-hmm. you know where they come from, what the expectation is, I always sort of set it low, because NHL is a really hard league to succeed in, and so yeah, I'm surprised. I am still curious to see what happens when we get to the dog days, because we are not anywhere near the dog days yet. Let's let the calendar flip here. Let's get into late January. Let's get into to February. NHL is a tough league. NHL is a tough schedule. And it's not as if the Chicago Blackhawks and the Taylor Hall end-of-season surgery is going to hurt them even more. It's not as if the Chicago Blackhawks are a team that's going to be in the playoff mix at all. And that takes a toll on you mentally. So that's going to be the next hurdle here for Connor Bedard. But so far, like, listen, I say all this knowing full well. He jumped over every hurdle that's been placed in front of him. Kid's fantastic. Just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Okay, before we get to... um... Before we get to anything else here uh, on the QOD, I want to talk about this before we get to the end of the show. Okay. The stick thing with Dylan okay. Dubé, dude, it's a ghost. It's a hard rim. 100%. It's it's a ghost. I, I want it to be a ghost, but it looks like it's a hard rim. I know. I don't want it to be a hard no. rim that moves the stick. It's, no, I want stop. it to be a ghost. Like, trust me, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I want it to be like a haunted stick. I want it to be like Dylan Dubé's voodoo stick, but no, it's... It's not. It's a, it's a hard rim. Sorry to report. It looks like it anyway. Ah, that's what moves That's no stick. fun. Because I don't think he's got, like, you know, the, remember those, like, idiot mittens with the string and, like, you pull it? Like, no, it's not. <laughs> I know it's not fun. It's not, I, I it's want not magic. the fire. <laughs> it's not the $5 bill with the with the uh, fishing line attached to it and you just start pulling it away <laughs> from somewhere. That's nice <laughs> <laughs> it's still the best um, bit. Yeah. No, it's All right. Uh, it's all right. Let's. That. Let's let's finish up with this one here. And this is something that Scotty brought up as yep. well. Um, and this was from Derek Caldwell. How Tampa is at the same point total yep. as last year on November 23rd without Andre Vasilevsky and having only played one more game. The the They continue to surpri- they surprise me. 
I certainly did not see them having this good of a year with the roster turnover that they've had with the injury to Andre Vasilevsky. Guys are getting older, no Alex Kalorn, like so many different things. And now we look at it and say, well, Tampa is just Tampa and we shouldn't count them out as long as Kucherov and Stamkos yeah. and Edmund and all those guys are still there. And they're proving that fact to be correct. You know what I really thought was going to be signal the beginning of the end for Tampa? And f- again, like I'll admit, foolishly, there are two players that I thought, oof, they're losing these guys. This is really, really going to hurt Tampa. One of them was Ryan McDonough, who just, by the way, came back last night for Nashville, pair of assists. Um, one was Ryan McDonough, and the other was Andre Palat, or as we like to refer to him as the poor man's Marion Hosa. I thought that those were the two, because you're, you're wondering, right, whether it was like that Blackhawks team that won cups, whether it was that Kings team that won cups. Like, what's the moment? Like, what's the move that finally pushes the team over the edge and they were on the sunny side of the mountain and now they're on the shady side of the mountain. I thought it was going to be those two players. Um, But boy, was I ever wrong because this team is, like I've always said, it's the fool that bets against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, This team is a beast. This, this team once again is providing, you know, health is the ultimate wild card. But I think we've always wondered, okay, they can do all this, but what if they lose Vasilevsky? I think it's a testament not just to the defensemen who've played really well, um, but also the forwards. Like it's a, it's a testament to the entire organization. And the thing about it, too, is here's the most impressive thing. Which is the coach in the NHL that has the longest tenure behind the bench? Uh, it's John Cooper right now, isn't it? Yes, of course. Like by a long shot. Normally, Next by is Mike then, Sullivan, right? Does yeah? Doesn't your team kind of hate you? Like I know there's been friction yeah. previous between you know Stamkos and and John Cooper, and that always hasn't been the most harmonious relationship, but they make it work. Like normally, when you're behind the bench that long with the team, they kind of tune you out, don't they? And the the one thing that Cooper that I've always been impressed by, the one thing that Cooper was able to do with this Tampa Bay Lightning team is, and this is hard when you have a team full of superstars, Maddie, you know this, is he took the extra pass out of the game. And that's when they uh-huh. really turned it up a notch. Like, you know, Tampa was always, like, they would fire the puck around and you'd hear sweet Georgia Brown playing in the background because they looked like the Harlem Globetrotters, the way they fired the puck around. And not just on the power play, but five on five as well. And they were always guilty of the extra pass. Just like when it's right there to shoot, ah, you know what? We're skilled enough. We're going to make another pass to try to make this goal look even prettier than it already is. And somehow, some way, John Cooper has got that extra pass out of Tampa's game. Like I think when the book yeah. is written on this Tampa Bay Lightning team, like this one, this one, this one, Cups, that's going to be a big part of it. And that's going to be like the question, Coop, how did you get the extra pass out of Tampa's game. Like, it's fierce. It's determined. Like, they're nasty. Like, there's a whole lot of reasons to like Tampa. And now they're going to get better because Big Cat is coming back. Maybe even as early as tomorrow. That's a really, really good team. Obvious comment by uh, yours truly here. Okay. um, Thanks to everyone who took part in that one and uh, submitted answers for it. Uh, The Corey Perry thing is weird. Um, Don't know where this thing is headed, but it's one of the stories that we will stay on and bring more information to you as it becomes available to us. Uh, Thanks to everyone who took part in today's program. You heard from Scott Lachlan from NHL Network Radio, Eric Francis commenting on the voodoo stick and the Calgary Flames, and Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, David Siss, Andrew Adams, Frank Baraska, thank you so much for, uh, for making things look and sound good. Everything else, all the mistakes were mine. Back in 22 hours.